0: Does anything else you need, a pen or paper, or clipboard or Bible, please raise your hand. And please open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We'll be in verses 3 through 8 this evening. Romans 12, 3 through 8. For those of you who appreciate a good alliteration, Connor, do you appreciate it? I thought you might. All right, tonight we're calling. Of uh, the sermon, gracious gifts given for the glory of God. All right, so we got I just, they just, the G's just kept rolling, and uh, I, I couldn't stop. I got a little carried away. Uh, even the, the main points are all G's, but then I, I stopped at the end. I was like, I'm not going to force the last one. All right, so when we get there, you're going to be okay. All right, don't worry. Let's read verses three through eight. Romans 12:3 through 8. For our time this evening in God's Word. Lord God, we thank you for your grace and all the ways in which we receive your grace in more ways than we even know or acknowledge. Lord, most of all, we thank you for the grace in which you've given us salvation, redemption, adoption, and all that we have in Christ. We thank you for leading your church for strengthening your church for building your church Lord I pray that you would by your spirit work in our hearts tonight to receive your word to worship you to grow in Christ we ask that you'd be exalted and praised we pray in Christ's name Amen. Amen. Amen when you hear the words spiritual gifts What's the first thing that comes to mind? You hear spiritual gifts. What's the first thing that comes to mind? Is it, is it the debated gifts such as speaking in tongues and healing? Is the first thing that comes to mind you, you doing miraculous things? Maybe being up on a stage somewhere looking nice to everyone. Is the first thing that comes to mind you serving other people. Is it other people serving you? What comes to mind when you think of spiritual gifts? Do you think of spiritual gifts rightly? Do you think of spiritual gifts biblically? There's a lot to say about spiritual gifts. And and tonight it will not be a complete lesson on spiritual gifts as defined in the Bible. Not in its entirety. But tonight we will be looking at what this specific passage in Romans 12 says has to say about spiritual gifts. And in continuing Paul's section on Christian living, remember we started that just a couple verses ago, he now directs his attention to how we ought to live with one another. And it's going to be like that for the next few weeks on how to live with one another in the body of Christ and other believers. And here he begins by talking about spiritual gifts. Paul has already said that we are to live sacrificially to God. Remember the last couple of weeks. To live sacrificially to God. And he's now saying God fully equips us to do so. He equips us to live sacrificially for God. God has given every believer spiritual gifts. In which we are to uniquely use as we live sacrificially to him. Every Christian has been graciously given spiritual gifts by God. And these gifts are to be used for the edification of the body, and ultimately for the glory of God. A Christian cannot be living a sacrificial life to God and not be active in doing His work. God equips us to do His work through the spiritual gifts that He gives us by His grace. And so tonight, we're going to look And a few main points. We're going to look at how these gifts are given to us by His grace. We're going to look at how these gifts are given to us for His glory. And then we're going to look at specifics of some of these gifts. Look at them in detail. So we're looking at these spiritual gifts. How they're given by by His grace. How they're given to us for His glory. And then we'll look at it uh, in specific detail. So first... Our first main section is given by his grace, as in these gifts are given by his grace. And we see that in verse three. The first thing we notice is that Christians are to think rightly about themselves. This is verse three. a, All right. That's the first half of verse three, Christians are to think rightly about themselves. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgments. The first half of verse 3 is connected to where we left off in verse 2. Do you remember verse 2? The renewal of our minds. And Paul is still concerned about our thinking. Paul says the word think three times in verse 3. He's not quite done talking about our mindset, about our thinking. It's something we ought to pay attention to. That he says think three times. Paul says that we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Part of living sacrificially to God, as we looked at the last couple weeks, part of living sacrificially to God, and part of being transformed by the renewal of our mind and not conforming to this world, is to have a proper understanding of ourselves. And it starts with not thinking too highly of ourselves. This is really contradictory to what the world suggests. Again, thinking in context of not conforming to the world. The world wants you to think highly of yourself. But this again is where we are not to conform to the world. The world will often promote the praise of man. The world will encourage a high self-esteem. The world will often teach that the key to happiness is to elevate self. the solution to depression and the solution to sadness is often to have a better and elevated view of yourself. That is not what the Bible teaches. Paul says here to not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. We are not to elevate ourselves more than the reality of who we are. In fact, if you look throughout scripture, you will notice that elevating man has never been the correct solution it never works out well be careful of pride be careful of falling to the trap of the world that says you should be proud of yourself where does the bible ever say that you should be proud of yourself here we see the opposite in fact here we see the put off of our thinking paul says that we're we're not to think too highly of ourselves that's to put off. But Paul also mentions the put on of our thinking. That we are to think with sober judgment. As in, we, we, we are not to think too highly, and we're not to think too low of ourselves either. We are to think rightly about ourselves. Some people think that the solution to not thinking too highly of themselves is just to think low of themselves. Well, that, that must be the solution. If, if we shouldn't think high of ourselves, then let's just think as low as we can of ourselves. But in reality, thinking too lowly of yourself is just another false sense of humility. Sometimes it's a very prideful thing to think lowly of yourself. You hear people say, Oh man, I'm the worst. I'm so bad. No one ever likes me. Oh, I just wish I was pretty. I don't say that. <laughs> I hear people say that. Okay, okay. <laughs> And what's going on here? Well, for one, you're thinking way too much about yourself. In your pride, your thoughts are just consumed with self. And for two, you're just fishing for a compliment. You're dying to hear someone say, No, you're not the worst. You're great. No, you're not ugly. You're so pretty. Oh, I am? Oh, thank you. <laughs> you don't say But Thinking so low of yourself is not humility. Just a, a different form of pride. It reveals it in all-consuming thought life of self, and it reveals that the desperate need for the approval of others. Yes, we ought to be careful not to think too highly of ourselves, as Paul just said. But we also m- must not think so low of ourselves, as as all that is just a masked version of thinking too highly of oneself. But instead. Paul is saying that we must have a proper view of ourselves. We must think, as he says, with sober judgment. That we need to think properly and accurately as to the reality of who we are. Not too high, not too low, but with sober judgment. So how should we view ourselves, Christian? What is the way in which we should view ourselves? Well, first, we must recognize and understand that in and of ourselves, we are nothing at all. That we offer nothing to God. All we have is our sin. It doesn't matter what righteous acts we have lived out. It doesn't matter what godly knowledge we possess. All of it is tainted with sin and does not earn us favor or credit or merit with God. We have no strength within ourselves. To be righteous or to be right with God. So we, we do have to understand. We are wretched sinners. We, we, we are but dust. But our thinking cannot stop there. Christian, we must also recognize that in Christ, everything changes. In Christ. In Christ, we are seen as righteous through his work, through his blood, and through the union we have in him. And in Christ and by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we can live for God and we can use our gifts for God. And we can be used to build his kingdom, to honor him, to glorify him. You see, Christian, we're not just these these poor, sad zombies roaming this earth, but we've been redeemed. We, we, We are new creations. We are loved by God and we've been adopted into his family. And so we must view ourselves as such. And we must live as such. We have to have sober judgment. Understand correctly. Christian, you are a hopeless, wretched sinner that has now been redeemed. Is no longer hopeless, but you've been redeemed and is infinitely loved and treasured by God. That's what you are, Christian. Do not think so highly of yourselves As if you built some strong resume for yourself. Remember, it's in Christ. And do not think so low of yourself, forgetting that God treasures you. You! And he sent his son to die for you. Do not forget that either. And Paul is saying, in light of living sacrificially, and in light of serving the body, which is where he's headed, we must have a proper understanding of ourselves. We must put away any, any pride, a, 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 any selfish, self-glorifying motives that we may have. He's saying, think of yourself properly with sober judgment. And as Paul begins this section on living with the body of Christ, as we're about to enter into this new section, he makes clear that we cannot properly serve one another if we are consumed with pride, if we think too highly of ourselves. So he's saying, put it away. Rest in the reality and the identity of who you are in Christ. And in resting in our identity in Christ, we not only put away pride, but we also have to put away self-pity. Right? The, high, the, the high and the low. As James Boyce said, he said, it's a false humility that says, I don't have anything to offer to anyone. God can't use me you're thinking way too highly of yourself if you think god can't use you thinking so low of yourself it discredits it dismisses the love that god has for you as well as it discredits and dismisses the power god has to use a wretched sinner such as yourself so we're to think rightly of ourselves using sober judgment next as he finishes up verse three we see that Christians have been created by the powerful, wise hands of God. Look at the second half of verse 3. He says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I believe that the second half of this verse, 3B, in which we're at right now, this second half segues us into the next section in which Paul begins talking more directly on spiritual gifts and serving the body. Right, this is his, his connection here. It's what Paul says in verse 3, as I just read. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, what does Paul mean when he says measure of faith that God has assigned? Based on the context on where Paul is going, I believe he's saying that God, in his great wisdom and in his great power, has bestowed on every believer the exact and proper gift that they are to use for the edification of the body. That's what he's getting at. That God has assigned this to every believer. Every spiritual gift God has assigned it to him. And every believer is to think rightly and is to think soberly about this. God has sovereignly designed each of us differently and uniquely. It is when we seek to be outside of God's design that we become frustrated, that we become discouraged, that we become defeated. But it is when we operate within the ways that God has uniquely designed and called us to live that we find fulfillment and joy and satisfaction in serving the body and living for him. God is the one who has assigned gifts to us. God is the one who has made us who we are. I believe that can be true physically, mentally, and even here in the spiritual gifts. I think the context here is speaking about the spiritual gifts. God is the one who assigns it. And so God is the one Who's made us who we are. So we're not to think higher of ourselves. And we're not to think lower of ourselves. But we're to think rightly in accordance to how God has sovereignly designed us to be. Every believer has been perfectly and sovereignly designed and gifted according to God's great power and wisdom. There is no gift that he has given that should not have been given. Christian, whatever gift or gifts that you've been given has been given with a supreme and perfect purpose as determined by God. Not a mistake. And on the flip side, there is no gift that he has withheld that should have been given. If you do not possess a certain spiritual gift from God, then it is good for you not to possess that gift, at least for now. God in his perfect wisdom withholds certain gifts for certain people. And so we have to trust in God's great power and wisdom in the ways in which He has assigned spiritual giftings to people. Do you have faith? Do you trust the ways in which God has gifted you? And the ways in which God has created you? Do you envy other gifts in which He hasn't given you? Unthankful thankful for the ways in which God has made you and instead wishing and hoping that you were given different gifts. Are you a good steward of the gifts he's given you? Trusting him that he has wisely and purposely given you those gifts. Making good use of the gifts that he's given you. Are you a good steward? We must remember that the ways in which God has made each and every one of us, the ways in which he's gifted every believer, is all by his wisdom, his power, and ultimately by his grace. It is by his grace. Not by your skill set, or by your hard work, or by your intelligence, but it is by His grace. And this ought to produce humility in our own hearts. Any ways in which God uses you must be attributed to His grace. Not our own efforts, not our own strength. In fact, any ways in which God uses you is In spite of your weaknesses, your unworthiness, your uselessness, your sinfulness. It's in spite of that. And yet God still chooses to use us for his glory. God still, in his grace, uses broken vessels such as you and me to bring others to him and to bring glory to himself. Is his grace not incredible that he would use broken vessels like us? as a means of grace, as a means to proclaim his word, as a means to do his work. Thank God for his grace. So we've seen that it's been given by his grace. These gifts are given by his grace. Next we see these gifts are given for his glory. Verses 4 through 6. It's given for his glory. First we see that Christians are different parts of the same body used for the same purpose. They're different parts of the same body used for the same purpose. Look at verses 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Paul focuses on both the unity and the diversity of the body of Christ. Alright, so we're going to look at both tonight. The unity and the diversity of the body of Christ. There is diversity in the body of Christ. The, the many members, they do not all have the same function, he says. Paul uses the analogy, the analogy of a human body. You guys are familiar with this. Where there are many different parts to the body, all with its own unique purpose and strength. He does a very similar thing in 1 Corinthians 12. He goes more in depth there if you want to have further study. 1 Corinthians 12. Think of your own body. There are many different parts to your body, right? You guys know this. You have eyes, you have hands, you have feet, teeth, femur, armpit, calf, cheek, eyebrow, knuckles, heel, jaw, knees. All different parts and more, right? All with specific purposes. And thank God He's given us all these different body parts and more. I mean, imagine if God only gave us cheeks. Just cheeks, no eyes. No knees, no hands, no feet, just cheeks. And we're just this giant cheek flapping around. Thank God for the diverse parts of the body that he's given us. Right? In the same way, thank God that he's given us a diversity in the body of Christ. There are many members. And these members have different functions. I'm so thankful to God. We are not all cheeks. I'm so thankful that God has created us differently and has given us different functions in the body of Christ. There's a diversity and there's also a unity in the body of Christ. You see, even though there are many members, he says, there's one body. Yes, we should celebrate and we should embrace our diversity and the different ways in which God has created us. Yes, but we also must remember the bigger context that we are one body. Just like our human bodies, the armpit cannot go rogue and think he's his own body, his own being. No, he's part of the body at large. And the same with Christians. While we are diverse, we have unity as one body in Christ. He said it so clearly in verse five. Listen, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. It is so clear. Therefore, there ought to be unity amongst believers as we are part of one body. And as if we have one head, Christ. In our diversity and in our unity, we must understand that God has given us specific gifts with specific purposes to both edify the body and to bring glory to himself. Every believer in Christ has a spiritual gift. From the youngest to the oldest, from the newest to the most mature. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit indwelling inside them. Remember Romans chapter 8. And God has blessed them with a spiritual gift, or gifts. And so every believer ought to use the gift in which God has graciously given to them for the furtherance of his kingdom, for the edification of the body, and for the glory of God. Every believer. Are you in Christ? Are you a Christian? You answer yes, then I ask you, are you using your spiritual gifts for the furtherance of his kingdom, for the edification of the body, and for the glory of God? If you are a Christian, you are a member. You are part of the body of Christ. And every part of the body has a created and intentional purpose and function. If you are not functioning as you should, the rest of the body will suffer because of it. If if the eyebrows decided to not be eyebrows anymore, our eyes would be less protected. I think. I'm not a doctor. Okay? But I believe they are used so things don't fall and drip into your eyes. And maybe they're used as a sunshade. I think I may be. Right? And so your eyes would be less protected. Your eyebrows say, I'm not eyebrows anymore. Or your knees. If your knees... Just said, I'm not going to act as a knee anymore. It's going to be harder for your body to get where it wants to go. Your feet would be frustrated and say, come on, knee, bend. And the rest of your legs like, let's go. And your knee's like, no. When one part of the body is not functioning as it should, the rest of the body suffers because of it. And so it is with the body of Christ. God has created us uniquely and has given us different gifts with different purposes. Praise God. He has assigned to us different parts of the body. And when we do not exercise our gifts, the rest of the body suffers because of it. Are you in Christ? Then you've been given a spiritual gift. Are you using the gifts in which God has given you? That he's given you. you know the, the word for gifts here is the word charismata. It's based on the word charis, which means grace. Charismata means a grace gift, implying that these gifts, they're grace gifts. They are given to us by the grace of God. It's not something we earn. It's not something that we build on our own or or, or we achieve on our own. But these gifts are given to us by the grace of God. And since it's given only by God, it's given to be used only for the glory of God. They are not gifts to be used for our own glory. All of it drives us to one end goal. The glory of God. Through all the diversity, through all the different parts of the body, all of us are aiming towards one goal. To bring glory to God. If that is not your goal, in using your gifts, then you are aiming at the wrong goal. And you are misusing the gifts that God has graciously given you. Every believer is part of the body of Christ. God has designed us to be uniquely different parts that harmoniously work together as one body and he has graciously given us different parts and we are to come together and unify diversity to bring glory to God. While we are all uniquely different, we all share a common ministry, we all share a common power, a common purpose, and most importantly, a common head, Christ so Christian by the grace of God use the gifts that God has given you and use them to bring him the glory which brings us to our next point verse 6 that Christians are to use the gifts that have been given to them Christians are to use the gifts that have been given to them look at what he says in verse 6 having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us let us use them he says let us use them it's simple use the gifts that god has given you use them be a good steward of them don't take the gift that he's given you and then just sit and be idle and never use it every believer is called to use the gifts even though our gifts may be different our call and our command to use our gifts is not different. Every believer, no matter how significant or insignificant their gift may seem, is called to faithfully and sacrificially use their gift for the edification of the body and for the glory of God. Nowhere in Scripture do we see a call to take the gift that God has given us and to bury it in the dirt. To keep it for ourselves. To never exercise it. To never give it back to the body of Christ. God has given every believer a specific and purposeful spiritual gift. And it becomes of no value when we do not use what God has given us. I've heard of an example that's similar to this. Imagine someone living out in this this secluded cottage by themselves off in the distance. And they just make... The most beautiful and precise and perfect guitars in the world. Let's say the best wood, the best, just handcrafted. It doesn't come close. It is the perfect guitar. And in their house, let's say they have hundreds of these guitars. And they just keep making them and making them. And they have them in this house, never once being used. Just hanging there on their walls, let's say. Never once being sold. Not one ever leaving that house. Not one ever being played. What a shame that those beautiful, perfectly crafted guitars just gone to waste. They're just there, made, sitting in the house. No one is able to see it or hear it or use it. Nothing. It's even more devastating when a Christian is given a spiritual gift from God and they fail to use it, whatever the reason, that they keep it to themselves and no one in the body of Christ is able to be blessed by the gift in which God has given you. When a believer is not using the gifts in which God has specifically and purposefully given to them, that believer is cheating the other believers in the body of Christ. You see what I'm saying? They're withholding the means of grace that God has provided for his people. They're selfishly keeping God's blessings away from God's people. Christian, what prevents you from using the spiritual gifts that God has given you? Laziness? Fear of man? That's the one that prevents me most of the time. Lack of love? For others, what prevents you? What is your reason for withholding the means of grace to God's people? What is your reason for being a bad steward of what God has purposely and wisely given to you? Will you be obedient to God and use the spiritual gifts in which he has given you? Or will you hide it and keep it from others? A lot of times I hear Christians say, Well, I don't want to jump into serving in a ministry because because I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. And and how how can I know what my spiritual gifts are? I'm just not going to serve until I know. Well, the first thing I would say is you won't know what your spiritual gifts are if you aren't serving. Isolating yourself from the body of Christ, not being active in the body, not serving others will not help you determine what your spiritual gifts are. You want to know what your spiritual gifts are? Serve. Be involved in the body of Christ. They can't be identified and affirmed unless you use them. I believe that the believer filled with the Holy Spirit, serving God in humility and sincerity over time, will be made apparent what their spiritual gifts are by their own passions, by opportunity, by the affirmations of others, and by the way in which God uses it to bless others in the body of Christ. So serve. Serve. And watch for the ways in which God is at work. And do so with humility. Humility in receiving encouragement from others. And humility in receiving criticism from others. But Christian, I urge you, do the work of the Lord. No matter how big or how small it may seem to you or to others, use the gifts that God has bestowed you. On you. All right, last section. I'm trying to see if we have time. We don't, but we're gonna do it anyways. Sorry. <laughs> I know. I know. A little throwback. All right. We're gonna go through it quickly though. All right. Given in detail, verses six through eight. Paul lists seven spiritual gifts. We are gonna look at all seven tonight, okay? Don't worry. It's gonna be okay. All right. Seven spiritual gifts. It's not an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. He lists other spiritual gifts. I mentioned 1 Corinthians 12 is a good place to look. Uh, but tonight we're going to briefly look at these seven spiritual gifts and, and what they mean and how we might exercise them. Okay? Let's go fast. The first one's going to take the longest. Don't be scared. It'll go quickly after that. All right. Whew. Let's go. Number one prophecy. Prophecy. When Paul mentions. The gift of prophecy, what's he talking about? People are interested. Does it mean to predict the future? Does it mean to be a fortune teller? Are those fortune tellers with the crystal balls, or do they have the gift of prophecy? No, they don't, just for the record. The word for prophecy, propheteia, means to speak forth or to proclaim. In its more literal sense, it means one who stood in front of another person and spoke for him. The gift of prophecy is that of being God's spokesman. Speaking God's word in order to instruct, to admonish, to rebuke, to correct, to warn, to comfort, to challenge, to encourage. This is what the prophets of God did in the Old Testament. This is what the prophets of God did in the early New Testament. They spoke of God's word to his people. To prophesy is to tell of God's word. To speak forth the word of God. We must be careful of those who say, I have to get the prophecy and I have a word from God for you. It's very popular today. I've had many people do that for me. I've had many people give me their word from God. They will say things like, God told me you're going to be successful. They've told me, God God told me that he's going to do great things with you, Luke. And so on and so forth And they say these things. Now, did God actually tell them these things? Did God tell them to tell me that I'm going to be successful? They claim so. I'll give a quick example. I was talking to this guy at the gym. This was a while back. At the time, I told him, I said, my, you know, we're talking about family and stuff. I said, my wife is pregnant. And he said, oh, my goodness, Luke. God just told me that it's a girl and that and that, that you're going to be snuggling with her and you're going to hold her tight And you're going to be so happy. Oh, Luke, I'm so happy for you. And I said, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And it was less than a week later that my wife miscarried. And I never got to hold this baby tight. Whether it was a boy or a girl, I don't know. But either God was wrong or he was wrong. Someone was wrong in that equation. I'll promise you, God is never wrong. Mm Amen. We need to be careful when we say we speak forth the word of God. What do we even mean when we say that? I do not believe that it means that we hear the voice of God and then therefore we speak on his behalf. For us today, God's word is complete. The gift of prophecy would be to proclaim and make known God's word. This word right here. Not of foretelling the future, but of interpreting and proclaiming the will of God found in the word of God. To have to get the prophecy is to proclaim this truth in which we have. Just as the prophets of old must have been very careful not to speak more than what God wanted them to speak. So we must be careful not to add or go beyond what God has revealed to us in his holy scriptures. This is his word and we proclaim this. Now Paul says if prophecy in proportion to our faith. And many believe that faith is referring to the gospel, to the faith. I won't get into all the reasons why, but one reason why people believe that is because in the Greek it includes the definite article making it the faith. So if this is the case, then we can understand this by saying that we are to proclaim God's word in accordance with what the gospel has been revealed in his word and in proportion to our understanding of the gospel and his word. Again, we are not to add to his holy word, but instead we are to faithfully proclaim the word in which he has revealed to us his holy scriptures. That is prophecy. Next, service. We're going, to get, we're going to get through these here. Service. This is a, a very general term for serving. In fact, the original word is the same word where we get the word deacon. Like the office of the deacon. This is serving those in need and helping others in practical ways. That, that you see someone in need. And you're able to help them. You don't turn the other way assuming someone else is going to be the one to help them. But instead you, you are the one who moves towards them in love and compassion to help serve those in need. And we look at the example of Christ, right, who came to serve, not to be served. And while every Christian is called to follow that example, the one with this spiritual gift has a natural bent, a draw towards service. And they are blessed by the service and others are blessed by them too. You see those who are just constantly serving and serving and serving, who, who are looking to fill the needs of others, right? Where can you serve today that you're not currently serving? Where are the needs in which you can step in you can serve for the sake of others? Might you have the gift of service in which you need to fill those needs and step in and serve? Next is the gift of teaching. To get the teaching. Now this is similar to prophecy, but there is a difference. The one who has the gift of teaching is to teach the word of God, similar to that of the gift of prophecy. But here we see the difference between one publicly proclaiming and the other having the ability to explain properly the word of God. Now I think the one who has the gift of prophecy likely also has the gift of teaching, but not necessarily the other way around. The Christian with this gift is able to sit down with someone and clearly explain the Word of God in a way in which is understandable and makes sense. They have a gift for teaching the Word of God. I'll say this if, if you know anything about Jesus and the Gospel, Christian, if you know anything about Jesus and the Gospel, you should teach it to others. As much or as little as you know, teach it. Teach it to those younger than you, teach it to those older than you. What do you know about Jesus? What do you know about the gospel? What do you know about the word of God? Teach it. Teach it to others. Next, we see the gift of exhortation. You can see it there on the bottom. Exhortation. This gift is the gift to to advise, to, to encourage, to warn, to strengthen others. Whereas prophecy and, and teaching proclaim and, and explain God's word, exhortation challenges believers to obey and to follow God's words. And it can be used in the negative sense or the positive sense. Some may need to be exhorted to turn from bad behavior. That's the negative sense that you see a brother or a sister living in sin. You may be called to exhort them to bring them back on the right path of obedience to God. This is not just telling people that they're wrong, but it's doing it in a way that is gentle and loving while also being firm and true. And some may need to be encouraged to continue and maintain good behavior. That's the positive side. Exhortation is not always negative, but it can be positive. That you may see a brother or sister serving the Lord, sacrificially living for the Lord, and God may want to use you and your gift of exhortation to encourage them to continue to do so. We need encouragement. Because living for the Lord in a dark and sinful world, it's tiring. It can be discouraging. And we need brothers and sisters to encourage us to keep fighting the good fights. To continue to run the race. Thank God for the brothers and sisters who have the gift of exhortation. Next, we see the gift of giving. Or in ESV, it says the one who contributes. The word for giving here, it's an intensified word for giving, actually. The, the typical word for giving is didomai, but the word, this word is metodidomai. It's, it's like a Pokemon that evolved. It, it, it adds the meaning of, of, of the, the didomai adds the meaning of, of giving that of what is your own. The, the, the gift of giving is that of someone who, who sacrificially gives of himself. Whether it be their own resources or their own money or their own belongings, whether it be their own time, whether it be their own energy. It is an overwhelming giving to others, even at the cost and the expense of self. And Paul says that the one who gives, gives in generosity or, or gives liberally. It is a heartfelt, sincere giving of themselves who, who gives so generously, so liberally that it's not dependent on what they receive back. This giving does not have other motives. This giving is not for their own gain or for their own recognition. But these these people are not giving, expecting something in return. But it is a pure motive for the sake of loving others and to bring glory to God. It's not for their own gain. It is a selfless, sacrificial giving of oneself. Are you someone who is seeking to give? To give generously, to give up of yourself for the sake of others. Next, we see the gift of leadership. We see the gift of leadership. God gifts those with the gift of leadership. Now, some people think they have the gift of leadership because they like to boss people around. <laughs> That's not the gift of leadership. That's the gift of bossing around, which is not a gift. This gift describes the ability to stand before others and to guide them in the right direction and in the right way. The church needs leaders, humble leaders, to step up and lead God's people to trust, follow, obey, love, and honor Him. And Paul says that this leadership is with zeal or with diligence. The idea of carrying things through with persistence. Not one who, who procrastinates or who does things half-heartedly, but, but is zealous, is, is diligent in leading. And maybe some of you, even in junior high and high school, have been given the gift of leadership by God. Do you, have you thought that? You know, it is possible. If that's true, exercise that gift. Allow God to develop that in you, even now, in junior high or in high school. Start leading here at TYG, leading your peers in a way that points them to Christ. The gift of leadership. And lastly, the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy. The word for mercy here communicates the person who demonstrates sympathy for others and has the ability to care for them, to comfort them, to strengthen them. The Christian that has the gift that is sensitive to those who are suffering, they're able to notice those who are in need, whether it be a physical need or emotional need, and they feel sympathy towards them. They, they act and they know how to care for them in ways in which they need to be cared for. And when they hear of others suffering, when they hear of the pain others are experiencing, they feel it with them. And their hearts go out to try to help them. They weep with those who weep. We're going to get to that in a bit. Do you seek to help those in need, to show mercy to the broken? Does your heart ache with those who ache? And this person does does so not out of obligation, not pridefully, not not begrudgingly, but instead it says they act mercifully with cheerfulness. Isn't that great? With cheerfulness. You know the people who always seem to brighten the room, right? Right? These are people that that you always run around when you're going through hardships because you know that they will extend mercy to you. That they will feel the hurt with you and that their smile will bring joy to your heart. They extend mercy with cheerfulness. Are you someone who joyfully extends mercy to others? You serve and give a sacrifice for others with true joy in your hearts. That's the gift of mercy with cheerfulness. All right, so that was a speed run of a list of seven spiritual gifts that Paul presents in his few verses. Christian, do you have any of these gifts? Do you have any of these gifts, Christian? If so, then use them. Do not neglect them, but be good stewards of them. Bless the body with them and use them for the glory of God. All right, let's wrap this up. As we close, I I, I just, I want to quickly, I want to bring us back to the grace of God, please. Back to the grace of God. Tonight, we, we talked a lot about, about doing, about serving, about using your gifts, doing this, doing that. And, and I don't want us to lose focus on what lies behind all of this. And that is the grace of God. All right, for, for, for the Christian, first remember that all of our gifts have been given to you. It, it, it is only given to you by the grace of God. Not your own doing, not your own strength, but by the grace of God. Give him the credit, give him the glory. Your gifts are by his grace. Second, Christian, remember that the body of Christ is a means of grace to you and to other believers. Therefore, use your gift as God has assigned to be a means of grace to others. And also be blessed by others in the body. Receive the means of grace of God through his body, through his people. And the greatest of all, the the greatest gift of all, is not a spiritual gift that we possess, but is the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And this gift is also given to us solely by his grace. If you are a Christian, you have received this gift. You now have union with Christ. You now have his righteousness covering you. You don't have his privileges. You now have been saved. Don't ever forget, Christian, the riches that you have in Jesus. And don't ever forget that all of this is by his grace. Not a speck of it have you earned by yourself. Not a speck of it. Do you deserve? But all of it, every blessing you possess in Christ has been given to you by the grace of God. And if you are not a Christian, you can receive this gift by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You need the grace of God. We all do. Do not rest on your efforts or on your works or on your good life or on your knowledge or on anything else, but rest on the grace of God. That is our only plea. God, give me your grace. Have faith in Him and His works and not your own. Thank God for His grace. Let His grace produce in us a life That glorifies Him. The grace that grants us salvation. The grace that grants us spiritual gifts. Let it lead us to a life that uses our resurrected lives. And uses our spiritual gifts. All for the glory of God. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your grace. Thank you, God, for all that we have in Christ. Lord, I pray that your grace would motivate us to want to love others, to want to serve others, and most of all to use the gifts in which you have graciously given to us for the glory of you. God, keep us from pride. Keep us from laziness. Keep us from any other sins that are preventing us from serving your people and serving you. Lord, build your church. Use us for your glory and your glory alone. Well, for those in here who do not belong to you, I pray that your grace would meet them and you would save them. Lord, it is your glory and praise that we seek, not our own. We praise you, we exalt you, for you are worthy of our lives. I pray your spirit would continue to work in us. Help us even this time as we discuss these things that you be glorified in Christ's name. Amen.